Howdy there, fellow viewer, and welcome to Gourmet Killing. Today, we're prepping up a nice edible platter of fresh livestock, straight from the forest. Our freshly ground up squirrel brain cheetah tap, bear and trail sausage, to deer to rabbit meatballs. There's a lot of great food to prepare for tonight, but of course, we want to present to you a couple of safety tips before we begin cooking. This program may contain language and content that may not be suitable for younger viewers. Listener discretions highly advised. There's also the possibility that we may spoil some of the contents for tonight's meal, so make sure that you're caught up to at least the fifth episode of Golden Kamoy before watching tonight's episode. Also, one final thing. The views and opinions expressed here tonight are that of the individual participants and don't reflect on Dub Talk as a whole. Now that everything's been laid out and we have our ingredients, it's time for the gang to go get some more! Cause we want to serve all of you tonight. So let's grab our muskets, learn some culture, and cook us some CG bears as we cover Golden Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to the Dub Talk Podcast, where we talk to you in the newest and greatest and latest in anime dubs. And tonight, we have a special show for you. An absolutely delightful, heartwarming show about friendship, food, and just horrifying amounts of violence. Like, Jesus Christ, Japan, what the fuck? God, you skinned a man in the first episode. What the ever-loving fuck, guys? It's the Russo sign of war, man. <laughs> Anyways, we're talking about Golden Kamui tonight. The new anime based on the hit manga about a, uh, a Japanese veteran of the Russo-Japanese War and an Ainu teenager hunting for gold in the mountains of Hokkaido. Uh, but, uh, and we're going to talk to you about that tonight. But before we get to that, we should introduce who, who's here. You, of course, have me, the leader of this particular treasure art. I'm Amon. Hi. And with us tonight, we have Hardy. You going to finish those squirrel brains? No. Uh, Sneeds. <laughs> They taste better with a little bit of salt. And Andrew. A family can be a former soldier, an escaped convict, their adopted indigenous daughter, and a giant fucking wolf. All you need is love, man. Love and seat attack. Love, a couple of skills ready to kill and maim other creatures, as well as not being afraid to get your hands dirty. I was talking to a friend of mine about this, and uh, he, he didn't know who who drew this. He was absolutely convinced this is by the woman who did a bride story, which I thought was very funny. A bride story. It's like, it's like, all right, I see how you got to that, but he's usually not this violent. The actual plot of this story is we are following one uh, Sugimoto, a.k.a. the immortal Sugimoto, a heavily scarred veteran of the Russo-Japanese War who... Unfortunately, is now flat broke and has been trying to hunt for gold in Hokkaido. Uh, when that doesn't work, he takes up on a uh, something a guy told him, which is that long ago a bunch of Ainu, who are the indigenous people of Japan, uh, got some gold together in order to buy weapons to go fight the Japanese. Unfortunately, uh, some guy stole all their gold and hid it. He then got arrested, but he printed a map to the gold on the bodies of other prisoners who were in the prison he was in with tattoos. Uh, and apparently if you take all the tattoos and put them together, you'll figure out where the gold is. 
So Sugimoto, joined by Shirpa, a uh, Ainu teenager from the area who could also use some of this money, uh, I've joined up together to go find this stuff. Sadly, they're being pursued by a lot of people. <laughs> Chief among them, a very, very upsetting lieutenant in the Japanese military who has a lot of problems. So many problems. Come on, man. Veteran packages aren't what they used to be, man. I don't know if there's any veteran package in the world that's going to help that guy. Like, Imagine the movie Rat Race, only with significantly much more violence. Basically, the whole deal is that there is... Okay, I think I saw somebody describe the initial premise of this is essentially the setup of One Piece with the rogues gallery of Veroni Kenshin and the violence of something like Berserk. Oh, you're not wrong. And a nice, friendly cooking show. Who doesn't love otter brains? Did he even include the recipes for the dishes? It's a, it's, it's very in-depth at its cooking stuff, too. This guy, this guy did a manga. Even in the English, they have a page at the back that is a listing of all the, uh, like, um, sources he has for how I knew culture works. The man is a historian. So he's cl he clearly wants, to, oh, the, the, man, the man did a lot of work into this and he wants to show it off. I can respect that too. I respect that. I mean, I don't, where are you gonna get a squirrel? Right outside. I mean, look, a, I'll already say that, where would you, where? I'll already say that, where would you, where would you get, where would you get? I live, I live in Memphis. I could go right <laughs> outside and get a squirrel within the hour. I'll say that, where would you get a squirrel that you would feel comfortable eating? Cause I've seen squirrels around here. A lot of mange <laughs> in this area. I ain't eating that. You've got to do our part to keep the population numbers down. Do your com number today, people, and set up snare traps. I'm not sure it's relevant to the topic at hand, but I was driving home today and I saw two squirrels fucking <laughs> as I was coming home. So, yeah. there's squirrels plenty around here, too. Alright, I think I've lost control of this episode. <laughs> no, shall we? Shall we? Thank you very much, Bob. So we're, n we're not about to devolve into eating squirrel brains? I mean, I just no, brought out my saltines no. and everything. We're good. Anywho. Alright, let's take off our shit-eating grins, everybody. And let's get to work. Let us let us get started in earnest, shall we? And let us start off with um, our ADR director, our scriptwriter, and, as a special bonus for this show, our narrator. Now, uh, did anyone have predictions for any of these roles? No. Yeah, I would have thought uh, this might have been a Chris Bevins production. The one reason, he also did Drifters. Yeah, I can see that logic. I'm dry. It's historical parallels. This is a little bit more grounded than Drifters, but it does have that action piece goodness. And being able to go from info dumping a time period or a person's backstory to then cutting into the drama of a chase scene all while learning the ins and outs of how these uh, certain skis were made of seal fur. I figured Bevins might be able to handle those rhythms effectively. I had a similar thought process to you there, Snaves. Though, instead of Bevins, I went for uh, somebody who stu studied heavily under Bevins himself, and that was uh, Jeremy Inman. As mm. for a secondary safety pick, I also picked Chris George... Not sure if he's done a lot of like drama action stuff, but thinking he's done he's done shonen and stuff. So I figured it'd be interesting to see what he would do with something like this. And Pop Team showed he's more than able to handle that level of comedy too. <laughs> this is a true fact. 
Uh, let's see, I had Mike McFarlane down, and that's mostly because this seemed like it might be a reasonably show for Funimation this season, and I feel like Mike often ends up directing those ones. Uh, but, um, in this case, most guesses are wrong. Uh, our director for this episode is, in fact, Jaron Mianman. Our uh, script writing, uh, so far, it's been done by two people. The first episode was written by Clint Bickham, and the second episode and onward uh, written by Jessica Cavanaugh. And our narrator was done by uh, everyone's favorite drunk uncle, Mark Stemmick. Hey, Marcus. It's Marcus. Hey, Marcus. Good to see you in an episode again. I honestly wasn't sure whether or not the narrator was another character or not. That's kind of why I didn't make predictions from him. Though, now that I'm hearing it in English, it's pretty clear, yes, the narrator is just a separate entity. Ooh, theory crafting. What if the narrator's the Noparado prisoner? Oh. Likely. Unless, unless, well, he could show up later. He could show up with some later down the line, but I have okay. not read enough of this manga to tell. All I can say is, hashtag fucking called it, if that is the case. I mean, that would be the obvious guess, so... Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Maybe we can get bragging rights in a few months when we turn out to be correct. Indeed. Anyways, um, so, uh, you may know Jeremy Inman for also directing shows such as Hakata Tankotsu Ramens, uh, Saga of Tanya the Evil, and apparently he directed a few episodes of Desert Punk back in the day, which I, I don't think I even know he was working for Funimation back then. Uh, Clint Bickham has done scripting for shows like Gantz, Suritama, and Welcome to the NHK. Uh, Jessica Kavanaugh has uh, done scripting for shows like uh, Alderman of the Sky, Ghost Sick and Recovery of an MMO Junkie, and you can hear Mark doing stuff like uh, Ryom Terasaka and Assassination Krasum, Delicho and Gangsta, and Kinto and Garo Crimson Moon. Uh, so gentlemen, what did we think of the direction, script writing, and Mark's narration? Uh, Hardy, if you'd like to start us off? Uh, yes, uh, why thank you. Um, first off, I have no real major complaints about the direction. Um, Everything is pretty solid. Uh, I don't really... As far as the writing is concerned, I want to get back on this later because it's another situation to where it's more than one language being spoken um, when we get into the, the Ainu language. And it's always fascinating to see how different writers and different directors take the approach when they have to go back and forth between two different languages, even when they are adapting something from a foreign language. So we saw how Caitlin adapted this in Cardcaptor Sakura when you had the two Americans, she turned them to French people instead. Um, so I'll get back to this later on when we get to another set of characters, but it's I find it always challenging. It, it's always an interesting challenge when you have to see the writers and directors um, approach their different approaches to when they have to address different languages being spoken uh, in another in, in this sort of situation. Um, as far as the regular writing is concerned, I really don't have any complaints. It is very interesting when you hear a Sherpa explain to Sugimoto the various terms and translations when it comes to uh, her own culture when she has to explain to him what certain words mean. And it, it is rather interesting listening to how this translates over into English. So I think everyone did a fairly good job so far. 
Uh, there were only a few times, I think, to where translation didn't really match up, but it didn't happen too often to where I can really complain about it. And as far as Marcus's narration goes, I've been waiting for him to have a lead role for so long, and it still hasn't happened yet. But a narration is a good start because he is, by its very nature, a very important sort of character to the show. It really couldn't happen without him. And it is, it's good to see his take on, because I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think this is his very first narration role. I think this is the first time he's ever done anything like this. So it's a good step in the right direction. He's got a very unique voice. Um, it's not the first one you think of when it comes to a narrator. Uh, but, but it's sort of interesting to hear his take on, on this particular sort of job. So I say kudos to him, and I'm still waiting on that lead role. Excellent. Uh, Sneeves. Yeah, Jeremy did a good job with direction. There are some problems that are just native to the script. While I'm enjoying the show, it still isn't quite the same adaptation I was hoping for the manga. And so there are parts where transitions between scenes don't flow the way they should. But working within this, Jeremy has done a bang-up handling of this in moments that are meant to be punches to the guts. They come off as punches to the guts. He uses the range of his cast effectively. And as for an adaptation, uh, Clint and Jessica have both navigated some rather tricky grounds between making this too info-dumpy, making this oscillate between its two tones, and yeah, nothing to complain about here. Good job, folks. Alright, Andrew? Um, I would say that, yeah, Jeremy Inman's a pretty reliable director when it comes to a uh, number of defos. I think this is particularly a very ambitious that it is, it is like violence and action intensive while simultaneously also kind of like laid back and lighthearted all at once, which makes a tricky balance when it comes to getting the adaptation not not the adaptation getting those particular mood changes and get your actors to react accordingly which i think he's done a pretty uh stellar job of doing i think the writing is also pretty strong localization it is of course tricky ground because you have to use a lot of very meticulous words mm -hmm. and like phrases from a language that is foreign even to a lot of native japanese speakers even so you have to adapt accordingly. I'm actually very curious to know whether or not they did use like Ainu language or translation for the actors playing them, which I, yes, I they did. did. Yeah, uh, the you can when we get to the Ainu character actors. Uh, yeah, they have people who in the dub are speaking the Ainu language. Okay, I figured. I just wasn't 100% sure, but I, that is very neat going the extra mile. As for Marcus, Marcus has a very fascinating, extremely distinct tone of voice. So every time you get to hear him, it's very interesting. It feels like even though you have characters explain things as naturally as they can, sometimes you can't just have 
Asirpa just always saying, this is what so-and-so is, or here's how so-and-so works, because she's not always going to know everything. So sometimes when you're working outside of manga, you kind of need somebody to do that, whether it's like another main character or an omni omnipotent uh, narrator, which that doesn't bother me too much because I love the shit out of the, the Hunter Hunter Chimera Ant arc, and half of that is just the narrator talking to me. But all in all, yeah, uh, director, script, and as well as our lovely uh, Uncle Marcus being the narrator are all solid and do a good job. Yeah, no, I'm in general agreement. I've been uh, I've been enjoying the direction and scripting on this a lot. Uh, Golden Kamui feels like something that's very hard to adapt well. I, I, I was talking about friends. I was talking about how this sh the show feels like something that should be kind of lazily described as like the Game of Thrones of anime because you know it's, it's very historical, almost fantasy setting. It's really really violent, but it's also got lots of silly comedy and like food and culture information in it. Uh, and if nothing else, when you're directing an episode, you have the problem of like, okay, we're going to go from people pulling goofy faces, uh, kids with rude names, uh, at the one end, and then we're also going to have like, you know, this big action scene and these, you know, dramatic moments, uh, coming up here and there. And, you know, often just, you know, in the span of 20 minutes, you're going to have to have a lot of ground to cover. And I think that everyone working on this has done a very commendable job at just nailing, being able to cover that much ground and do it well. I think the direction has been wonderful. Uh, especially, you know, as we mentioned with the challenge of, like, you know, directing people to speak in a foreign language that, you know, not a lot of people are even used to hearing in media, I would guess. Like, I, I don't know how often I knew people show up in Japanese media, but I, my impression is it's not a lot. Um, I don't think ever, honestly. I know, I know of one, and it's actually it actually doesn't get aired very often because it doesn't have a super great portrayal for the Ainu people, from my understanding. Uh, what show? Uh, it's like it's an old Toho monster movie called. It's called like the Abominable Snowman or something. And if, what I, admittedly, like no one's seen this movie in years, but the implication apparently is like the Abominable Snowman is some like weird half-human offshoot of the I know people and you know understandably they find that a little upsetting it's a little bit racist right there so are we talking kind of like a red-faced interpretation as a Kurt western parallel so to speak a little bit you know I I, mean, I honestly don't know because I've also heard people who've seen the movie more recently saying like it doesn't say that at all we don't know where that came from so I'm not sure frankly um, anyways point my point point being like they're not in a lot of media, even in Japan. So the fact that, like, even in this English dub, they have managed to, you know, incorporate this, you know, incorporate this native language. Eh? And admittedly, I can't judge how well they're doing it. I don't know what kind of languages sound like. Um, but if nothing else, I commend them for, like, going the extra mile in that regard. Mm -hmm. um, I've enjoyed the script writing a lot. Um... They could probably swear a little more, but like that's a that's a personal preference. I'm not really going to knock them points for that. Because didn't you say that the Viz manga translation is a lot more sweary than? Yeah, not not super, but the one that's the one that springs to mind is just seen episode three where Sugimoto uh, is running from soldiers and elects to leap into a bear den in order to hide from them. In this show, he says something to the effect of. Uh, screw it, I'm immortal when he jumps in. And the Miz Mongi says, fuck it, I'm immortal. So, I, f I feel we should probably mention right now, 
What is our relation to the original material of the manga going into this episode? I feel we should clarify that to the audience. I have read about uh, two volumes and a little bit of the third one. Same here. I first discovered this through Twitter because Minovsky article is the best. And whenever he tweets about some obscure manga you should really check out, that's usually a good sign to do so. And then I, what I discovered was a historical pulp tall tale that feels like something my grandpa would have read if he read Japanese. So TLDR, yes, you've read the manga. Yes, I have. As for me, I own and have read some of Volume 1. And I know nothing else outside of that. Um, where was I? Uh, you were talking yes. about comparing the screw it versus fuck it mentality. Yeah, exactly. And like, I mean, that, yeah, that's a personal preference. Like, I think I think they've been doing a very good job. I've been enjoying the show. I think they capture the voice of the characters very well. I've been very happy. And it's always... A they've dropped... I think they've dropped one fuck. Well, it does bring up the question as to whether or not Funimation is sort of censoring their simuldubs or dialing it back. Because this does bring up the earlier situation where both... It, strangely, both Crunchyroll and High Dive were streaming Pop Team Epic. And the Crunchyroll subs tended to be a little bit more on the tame side, more like PG-13. Whereas the High Dive subs were just F this, F that, just full-on vulgarity. It, I mean, I, f I feel like I feel like right there you could illustrate the difference between Crunchyroll and High Dive as just companies and platforms. Like the fact that High Dive, the fact that High Dive has a lot more swearing in it, does not surprise me at all. I also think the fact that like more swearing does not yeah. exactly make a better translation per se. Because you ever read any My Hero scanlation, Bakugo is just yeah. Bakugo is just the world's biggest fucking potty mouth sailor man. Oh, I remember, I remember old VHS fans of a Dragon Ball. Those were filthy. I mean, Dragon Ball's like the most child-friendly, well, one of the more child-friendly shows out there, and just the old VHS fan subs are F this, F that, blankety blankety blank. Yeah, some, 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 some kid in the middle 90s is like, you know, in Japan, they swear all the time in Naruto. Don't you know? <laughs> Yes, I'm enjoying the script writing, and it's always a delight to see Marcus in stuff. I, I almost feel like his distinctive voice is part of the reason he doesn't get cast as often. I think he's going to sometimes be a little hard to fit into stuff. But I like hearing him in things, and he's doing a wonderful job. I love you, Marcus. One of these days, one of these days, we will have a Star Wars anime. Yes. And they're going to need someone to come up with a similar voice to Han Solo, to Harrison Ford. And it's just going to be like, here I am. I've been here since day one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never tell me the odds. <sighs> that just means someday he will get the perfect fit. Someday. Yes. Love you, Marcus. Your voice is great. Uh, uh, yes. Put us all around. Uh, without, without further ado, shall we move on? All right, so we have our first group of characters. Uh, so speaking of people who speak in a language we can't understand, <laughs> uh, we have the the two most prominent characters who um, speak in the who are uh, the of uh, the Ainu tribe that uh, Sherpa comes from. We have oh god, I didn't look at the pronunciations of these names. Crap. Um, 
I mean, I, th I think I, I think I can guess this one by myself. Let's see, Makanakuro. Yes. Makanakuro. Yes. Thank you. He is a Sherpa's uncle, and Hoochie is a Sherpa's grandmother. Uh, and did we have any predictions for these characters, gentlemen? Uh, Hoochie, I think it's Hoochie, and Ma Ma Makanak A Sherpa's uncle. He is a Sherpa's uncle. Uh, I do not have predictions for these characters. I... They were not there when I was making predictions. I also did not have predictions for these characters. I did not meet the uncle until episode four, and I only watched up to episode three in the sub, and the grandmother just seemed too sort of background character for me to even bother with. Fair enough. Sneeves? I kept my focus on the main characters, and sadly, these characters are supporting info dumpers. Yes who will provide family backstory and fun anthropology facts, but not actual characters. So they were excellent at what they did, and I'll praise both performances, but they weren't on my radar. Fair enough. I had the, I had the same thing of, like, the uncle just wasn't in it very enough, and I, I, mean, I don't even... I, I don't know how you, how you, figure, how you predict who's going to play the grandmother. So, yeah. They were good at what they did, at least. Indeed. Um, but on that note, let us talk about who played them. Uh, Hoochie is played by Jessica Cavanaugh, who you might know for playing such roles as uh, Moika Kiru in Steins Gate, Iva in Carnival, and Akiko in Brakaman. And uh, Mananakura is played by Jin Johnson, who you know for such roles as Mina Nenki in Basilisk, uh, Matobe in a Grappler, Bakli Max Gra Grappler Baki Maximum Tournament. Oh boy. Gonna be one of those days. Just say, just say, Bucky the Grappler. I know, but I think it's a newer series, not the old one. No, it's it is the old um, one. It is. Oh, okay, it's like the, Bucky, Bucky the Grappler. Bucky the Grappler, yeah. All right, and uh, Ivanova and uh, Haka, Hakata Tankotsu Ramens. Uh, and uh, gentlemen, what do we think of these performances, Hardy? Well, um, Jim Johnson didn't really make much of an impression on me. I think he did okay. But, I mean, the character is just so much of a background character that I really didn't pay him much mind. Uh, it didn't sound the most natural. Like, I think they could have probably found someone... I don't know. I was okay with it, to be perfectly honest. You know, it's it's six and one half a dozen of the other. Um, I was really impressed with Jessica Cavanaugh. In fact, I didn't even know that was her until just now. Uh, because this character, as mentioned before, only speaks in Ainu. And to it, it, I, I wanted to go back to this. It has to be such a challenge for these actors to go in there and not only to portray a character, but to portray that character in a language that they technically don't even speak. And it really speaks to the level of skill between and, and the trust between the actor and the director in order to sort of work their way through this sort of ordeal where they're speaking in a language they're saying words they honestly don't even know what they're saying and yet they have to go back and forth between the actor and the director in order to not only pull off a to pull off this 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 very this challenging thing but to make it sound sincere and and make it sound natural um, which, I mean, I had no idea what she was saying. I don't know if it was a good performance or not, but I was very highly impressed with how she was able to speak in that language and convinced me that it sounded natural. So kudos to Jessica Kavanaugh on that. Indeed. 
Steve's. I found a Circa's uncle, but uh, Jim Johnson, uh, again, made do with this role. So far, we're not getting a huge range out of him, and I can see a little bit what Hardy said when he spoke of the uh, some of the stiffness of the delivery. Uh, I think it speaks of Jeremy Inman's relationship with Jim Johnson as an actor and director, as was mentioned by Hardy. That moment, or those moments when uh, Asirfa's uncle speaks to Sugimoto, it's supposed to have this uncomfortableness about it. Sugimoto is outside of this Ainu world, and he is this stranger here, and getting barked at by this kind of, stop what you're doing right away, is supposed to have a little bit of that tension. And Jim really, or Jeremy, and really gets this out of Jim, uh, making the character seem terse without making the character really aggressive. That this character's tension or this t character's seeming brusqueness is rooted in the brusqueness of the uncle who cares about you rather than someone who's a little hostile. And that moment was something I felt I really wanted to acknowledge. Uh, as for Super's grandmother with Jessica Kavanaugh, as was said, it's a difficult task transliterating from an, a language that not one is really familiar with in North America, and the need to deliver that with the right sort of warmth, pathos, etc. I can't speak to the pronunciation because as I got around to. I didn't really track down any good Ainu language samples, so I can't really compare the grammar. But given given how it serves the plot that we're supposed to adopt Sugimoto's worldview a little bit, or Sugimoto's understanding of, I don't understand these people. They are wonderful human beings who I just have a thick cultural language barrier truly getting at. Any issues that may have been in Jessica's delivery sounded like something that, to an unfamiliar reader, could have just been written off as a cultural barrier or a language barrier that Sugimoto, and by extension the audience, wouldn't get. So, all the linguists on who's listening right now, feel free to dump on me for getting it wrong, but I think they both did well. Hey, uh, Andrew. Okay, so... Um... This, this is unrelated to his performance. I love the specific uh, Funimation listing when it comes to every time I see Jim Johnson listed as a character. Mm -hmm. He's in all caps compared to everybody else, and I find that particularly interesting. Like, well, who's playing, uh, uh, who's playing a seer uncle? Jim Johnson! Who's playing the grandmother? Jessica Kavanaugh. And Jim Johnson! Like, you have to emphasize the name Jim Johnson. I don't think it's for any specific reason, but I've noticed it in a couple of other listings where he's in other things, and I find that amusing. That being said, I think he has a very interesting, very, like, gruff, hard voice that I think definitely worked for the character of the uncle, as well as it worked enough for telling about uh, his relation with Ashripa, as well as uh, her whole situation, which was pretty interesting. Uh, more, I'm more intrigued about, uh, Hoochie, which, it is not an easy task to 
translate this, let alone perform this. And Jessica Kavanov has the role of both translating and writing this, as well as performing it herself. So she's pulling double duty on the front of a language that is not regularly spoken even among Japanese people. So that's impressive. Also, like, just the little tidbits about Ainu culture in general that are dropped by everybody. The more interesting thing to me, the fact that the bigger the tattoo that somebody has in an Ainu village, the more important they are. And I find that's a very interesting little tidbit, but I, it's like she basically has like another mouth on her in regards to the way that tattoo works, and I find that interesting. That, that being said, I think Jessica does a really good job sounding like much more older senile than I think I'm usually used to ever hearing from her. So I would not have been able to tell that was her had I not looked it up myself. So good on you. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm largely in agreement. I thought Jim, Jim Johnson doesn't have a lot to do. Um, so like the uncle's only really in that one scene and I don't actually know if he ever shows up again. Um, but like, I think he does a perfectly fine job for his little bit of like, you know, please don't die. <laughs> Also, follow me to go back to the village. Uh, and, you know, he sound, I thought he sounded perfectly good. And, you know, and, you know it, 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 I like what Steam's talking about, where, like, there's a little tension initially, but it, it sort of warms up as far as, like, you know, oh, no, you're, you're friends with my niece. You seem nice. You know, she she backs you. You seem like a good guy. Um, also, I, I'm deeply amused by his daughter, uh, who's got the best silly... It, it, it's not even a silly face. I just think the way she's drawn is hilarious. I know, it's great. Um, the, you know, I also really... They're sorry, adorable, yeah. air quotes, shitty little kids. <laughs> but isn't that... Doesn't that explain, like, all little children, honestly? True, but... Yeah. The, the I, That is a fascinatingly strange little tidbit there. It's like, that sounds weird and stupid as hell that it has to be the truth. The fact that... When until you are six years old, your name is literally something gross and foul, so demons don't fuck with you. It's like, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't want to steal a kid that's named Grandfather's asshole. When I get, that's decide that uh, has made me decide when I uh, get married and have kids, my first kid is going to be named Smegma. <laughs> Ooh, come here, Smegma. <laughs> oh boy. Wait, you mean your your guy's parents never called you little asshole when you were son, six and under? Son, I named you after the two most bravest men I've ever known. Now go grab me a beer, Smegma Piss Bucket. <laughs> oh, dear. Daddy Hardy, I think I need therapy. We all need therapy, son. We all need it. Come here, diarrhea shit stain. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Come here, Chipotle bloodstain. <laughs> All right, I'm putting the kibashi on this one. I had a point I was making. Jessica Kavanaugh. <laughs> I really appreciate her performance in this show. Um, because as we are talking about, she is largely working in a language that she has had to translate that is not widely spoken and not widely represented. You know, there's not a lot she can go to to get a feeling of what, like, the flow of this language sounds like. But if nothing else, I really appreciate that I thought she was able to 
get the emotional content of what she was saying across, even, like, again, like, I can't judge how well she's speaking this language, but I thought she did a great job of getting the emotional content. I really like the bit where, at the end of, um, what is, I think it's a, near the end of episode four where she's talking to Sugimoto about, like, you know, I want, you know, please, you know, help take care of my granddaughter. She means a lot to me. And I thought she did a wonderful job of selling, like, what she was feeling, even if, you know, you can't connect it to what she's saying directly. You're having to get off, go off what the subtitles are telling you. And really, like, I, I'm, I'm just impressed by that. I feel, like, as, as someone who's done a little acting, that, that seems like a difficult thing to do. And I give her, you know, high praise for being able to pull it off. It was, I thought it was really well done. I also know that she mentions, like, uh, to potentially like marry her daughter which here's the here's the thing i'm not bugged by that for two particular things one 1900 japan you kind of do whatever the fuck you gotta do to make it secondly it's also the fact that like she is basically like a huge tomboy and in already a pretty like cultural heavy society people might not be down for that for somebody and she's of course genuinely worried like is my girl gonna be able to take care of herself or will somebody be able to take care of her like she's strong-willed and tough but she's also sad and lonely at times i even if like if it's not a marriage thing just stick by her and be there for her which it's pretty clear their relationship is very much like that of a pseudo family not like a it's basically just a little kid, and I—that's I, I, neat. It's more—it's more father daughter than like, uh, like romantic relationship. Yep, indeed. Uh, but on that note, uh, let us move on to our next set of characters. Uh, we have two very interestingly designed guys. Who haven't done a lot yet, but are clearly going to be a big problem down the road. Uh, we have a uh, Hijikata Toshizu who's a, uh, basically an old-school samurai still kicking it in early 1900s Japan, where modernization is slowly seeping in, but he's clearly not not down for that. Uh, and uh, we also have Tatsuma Ushiyama, a.k.a. Ushiyama the Undefeated, a big brawny man who appears to have a giant bone protrusion in the middle of his forehead. It's very unfortunate. He uh, kind of looks like a Japanese Wesley Willis. I, I have... Uh... When we get to uh, casting predictions, I have casting predictions for the both of them. I have... I did actually remember their names. I just wrote <laughs> down their nicknames from their design. Um, for Cool Swordsman, I predicted the following ink people. I figured Kent Williams was a strong, surefire choice. And Brian Mathis has played a lot of really standout uh, old man characters. Especially now that I'm like make going my a way through Yamato 2199 and he is fantastic as Captain Okita so I thought he would have been good as a swords guy and this nickname I'm extremely proud of uh for Fuhrer King Forehead <laughs> he looks like Fuhrer King Bradley to me with giant forehead so for Fuhrer King Forehead I predicted uh, Christopher Sabat would be a solid choice for this guy. Understandable. Um, Hardys, names, do you have any predictions? I did. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Uh, I only picked one prediction for each of these. For the old samurai guy, I decided I would probably go with R. Bruce Elliott, as he's done a lot of grizzled old samurai types in the past. And for uh, 
Lieutenant Hammerhead, there was only one voice I had in mind after I looked at this character, and that voice would be none other than Mr. Satan himself, Chris Ooh. Rager. Mm. Because he has been playing... Yeah, after Dessler, I mean, he's been playing a lot of suave playboys <laughs> lately, so I'd kind of like to see him go sort of like return to form and play these big brawny muscle heads again, because he definitely has the right voice for it, so. I'm convinced mm -hmm. he will be somewhere in this show. Oh yeah, I mean, this <laughs> show is basically just, this show is nothing but all your old um, Funimation voice actors, plus a Sherpa, mm -hmm. basically. You're not wrong. I had some predictions as well. Uh, for our foxy grandpa samurai, I thought Brian Mathis might fit into this one. It was a bit of an odd casting at first, but feeling around some of the previous roles for that he's been cast in, I, I honestly was thinking back to uh, some... I think he was... Was he not, he not in Drifters? Again, I, I keep going back to Drifters for this. He seemed to have that uh, deeper, more rumbly voice of someone who's aged, been around the block, but still has a little puckishness in him and won't take crap. And for uh, Toshizu's characterization here, the historical figure he's based on is someone who is uncompromisingly moralistic in spite of his penchant for violence. He will be by the book, his master right or wrong, his way of life right or wrong. And I thought Brian could bring into this some of that more hard-headed idealism that one would find in a younger character, but filtered through an older voice, through an older man's uh, life experiences. I and find it amusing you say this character is the hard-headed one. <laughs> anyway, that was uh, my pick for that. As for Ushiyama the Undefeated, I really didn't have any picks for this one, though upon hearing who actually got cast for it, I now can't see anyone else in that role. They'll leave it at that till we talk about it. Indeed. Um, who did I have? I had for... Um, uh, Hijikata. Uh, I thought Charlie Campbell might be good in here. I think part of that was I was trying to think of people who can sound old but also be funny. Um, and Lord knows I love him as Gran Torino. So. Uh, and uh, I actually had R. Bruce Elliott for uh, playing um, uh, Ushiyama. I thought he'd, he'd have a good gravel to his voice. Also, Hardy, when you say Wesley Willis, do you mean like the weirdo singer from Chicago known for such songs as Rock and Roll McDonald's? Yes, and the vultures ate my dead ass up. I was thinking, I was thinking, naming your children gross things to keep demons away is a very Wesley Willis thing to do. <laughs> that is, great minds think alike. That is a great song name. <laughs> Anyways, um, also before we go into that, I find mm -hmm. it interesting you brought Charlie Campbell because he plays the drunken guy when he's out gold panning, who basically lets loose the entire story about the gold and the tattooed prisoners, and then once. Uh, he wakes up, he's like, oh shit, I shouldn't have told you that. Darn booze. Don't get drunk with strangers, kids. You might tell them about how you have a map tattooed on your body. It's bad for you. But um, it could also kickstart the plot of your life. Well, not his life. Not his life. Not his life. <laughs> his life. No. Meiji Restoration was ending, man. 
When you gotta drink your way through that, anything will slip out. Anyways, so on to who is actually casting these roles. Uh, uh, Toshiza is played by Greg Dolce, you know, for playing such roles as uh, Ernos Corsica in Gangsta, Kuraha in Noragami, and Kurt von Rudersdorf in Saga of Tanya the Evil. And uh, Ushiyama is played by Christopher Sabat, who you know for playing Zoro One Police, Armstrong in FMA, Jigen in Lupin, any muscly dude in a Funimation anime, really. Um, oh, and uh, and the snake guy from Fruits Basket. Exactly. <laughs> so, what did we think of this performance as gentlemen? Hardy. Um, I'm going to be perfectly honest here. Mm-hmm. Greg Dolce was not the voice that I expected for this character. Mm-hmm. It wasn't particularly bad, but I do think it might have been a little bit better with a different cast. Um, and also, I don't dislike Chris Sabat's performance as Ushiyama, but it feels a bit too smooth, if you get my drift. I think this is a character who's a big, burly musclehead who is... He's just a horrible... I mean, the first... The first thing we see him doing is he's having sex with a woman. Are you, are you referring to the scene where he? Yes. Are you referring to the scene he where he literally just a picks her up by a, his leg and just <laughs> hurls her one arm at the samurai. And you know this is not a guy who to be trifled with. And I feel like he needs to be. He needs to sound a bit more dangerous, a bit more you know battle hardened. And I think. Chris plays him well, but he plays the voice a bit too smoothly. Like, Ushiyama is not a smooth talker. He's a big, gravelly muscle band, and he could have could have used a bit more grit in the voice, if you have to say. In fact, I, I think that's my um, my complaint with, with Dolce as well. Both of these characters could have used a bit more earthiness, a bit more grit, a bit more, you know, gruffness. Um, to make them sound more battle-hardened and, and world-wise and just worn down, but still very, very dangerous. So, I mean, they're both good performances, but they're not what I expected. And uh, I could, I, you know, I don't hate them, but I, you know, I, I could see a little bit of an adjustment being made. Fair enough. Uh, Sneeps. I am on board with Hardy about the casting of uh, Old Man Samurai. I, if I was casting from somewhere in my he- in my head, I would have thought this character would have been voiced by William Frederick Knight for sure, Aramaki from the old Ghost in the Shell franchise. I kept on thinking this is someone who's crusty and a little bit more been around the block a few times, and I just found that we weren't getting that same crackle. Greg hasn't really had a chance to feel this character out yet and know some of the crazy hijinks that will be coming down the manga pipes. Yeah, as for Chris Sabat, it's Chris Sabat. You know he can't do the role bad or wrong because Chris Sabat is beyond reproach. We, I am contractually obligated to say that or else Prince Vegeta will destroy my home planet. Or, or if nothing else, he'll just screw up your Twitter feed. That too. That too. I will just leave it to say that Chris Sabat is doing Chris Sabat, and that one the char- once the character gets to do something more than just be- beat on a prostitute. I mean, he's doing more than doing Chris Sabat. He's also doing that one, <laughs> too. And I'm done. I'm done. I'm out. I'm out. Womp womp. Also, I, I had a terrible, 
had a terrible image in my mind as soon as you mentioned um you mentioned him just throwing her i was thinking in my mind like him doing the scene from thor with like, i'll have another the, the mug where it's like nope. this is great oh. another as he just throws it on the ground <laughs> oh. andrew you're not getting any of my cut of the Ainu gold, man. In my defense, that's not particularly too out of character. I could see it happening in this particular show, yeah. Exactly. Oh, okay. Now on to my actual thoughts. I'll give some benefit of the doubt that at the time of this recording, we have heard exactly one minute of both of these characters. I, I, it's the kind of thing where it's like, I think they are... They have a decent enough foundation for me to go along with both of them. I just need to hear a little more of what they could do. I, I like Greg Dolce in a lot of the stuff I've heard him do, actually. And I think he could definitely grow a little more into the role of, like, ti a tired, badass former Shinsengumi. And I actually kind of see the... I'm just going to call him uh, Fuhrer King Forehead. I can't remember his name. I'm sorry. I, I see him actually being a lot classier than he lets on, to be honestly. There's just something about the way he shows himself with the gun and the fact that he seems to be, like, has a much more classy fi fighting style, at least in the ending, um, his ending image. He, he seems like somebody who is a lot classier than his image lets on, so I could actually buy the fact of Chris Sabat playing him a, a lot smoother. I, I don't know about his actual character in the manga, I'm just basing purely off his design and i think greg dolce in and of himself it, it it's the kind of thing that's tricky about doing impressions is like will they get to do more or grow into it or are we just basing off of what we've heard now but i like what i've heard now i'll give it a little time to grow on me before i make final thoughts but i, I like what i've heard so far yeah I'm kinda, i kind of a similar stay in mind like i thought these two were fairly fine but they i do think they're limited by the fact that like so far these characters have shown up basically not at all and I'm also willing to chalk up that some of the roughness of the might just be the fact that, like, neither of these actors have had any real chance to grow into these characters or know that much about them. Uh, like, I'm assuming they show up more again later in the season, but, like, I mean, even if I'd read all the manga that's available in English, that's not even the entirety of what's going to get adapted for this season. So, um, that said, like, I feel like both of these guys could def... Like, I think they could, they could wow me, and I think that's probably going to be dependent on how much more time they get to spend with these characters and developing performance. As it is, I think they're doing a perfectly fine job. And I hope I get to hear more from them. So on that, let us, uh, let's move on to our next set of characters. Um, two guys who should be dead and aren't, let's say. Uh, we have uh, two members of the uh, Japanese army who are also involved in this little treasure hunt trying to track down people with tattoos and so on. We have Hayakun Kunosuke Ogata uh, and uh, Tanigaki uh, Genjiro. Uh, gentlemen, do we have any predictions for these characters? Um, I'm trying to remember. Is Ogata the guy who ends up in the lake? Ogata is the yeah. guy who ends up in the lake. Yes. Ogata is the one who falls off a cliff. And I... Yeah. yeah. I did not even bother making a prediction for that guy because, like I said, he falls, hits his head, lands into a lake... And pretty much, he's still alive, but barely. At this point, he's waterlogged and missing an arm. So, 
He he's looking rough, but he's doing better than his boss, who yeah. we'll get to later. <laughs> he's wrapped up like a burrito right now. Like a big frozen Japanese burrito, but uh, let's see. As far as Genjiro, I did make a prediction for him, mm-hmm. and I predicted Jared Green. Hmm. Yeah, I think that this this character could benefit from a bit of uh, Jared's roughness uh, in characters that he's previous characters that he's played. Uh, Andrew Sneeves, do you have predictions? I I'm afraid I didn't have one for Ogata either. I keep forgetting he becomes important later on. Spoilers. I see. Uh, but he does. I, right, it's amazing. Fair but fair. Fair. Oh, let's, let, let's... Right, right. Yeah, spoil nothing beyond the four episodes we've watched, please. Right. I'm just asking we not... I just ask we not go into further... Look, look this, is a sh- this is a show about a dude who starts the show by getting shot in the neck. It is fine. I feel like falling off a cliff and losing your arm probably isn't going to be a big deal in the long run. Home cooking, man. Home cooking. Uh, but I did have one for Takaki Genjiro, and I honestly thought this would be cast by David Matranga. The reason? David Matranga has had a bit of a minor undercurrent in playing shonen rivals. Uh, the one that stands out most prominently to me right now is Luke from Garo Vanishing Line, if I remember correctly. He played the cool, aloof contrast to our brawly hero, Sword. And in this, too, while the character is a little bit more passionate, he has a motive involving finding the pelt of a certain white wolf. And that seemed like a a thing that fit a David Matranga niche. And right. that's all I got. I have uh, two predictions. I don't have any for Ogata because I just figured, yeah, he just kind of gets... He gets smacked by a gun and then falls into a frozen river. He gets done bad. Um, but I have predictions for the guy I have named Private Pelt. Private Pelt. And nice. Especially applicable given his his intrigue in hunting down Ratar. Especially... Is his name not Matagi, since they reference the fact that he's from the Matagi family? Or is that just like a clan or something and not necessarily... That might be a clan That might be a clan thing. This is the name I found on most of the official sources, so... Okay, that's, that's fine. Basically, uh, Private Pelt, I had two people in mind. I thought uh, Rico Fajardo or Alejandro Saab, simply because he seems a, he seems a little younger... But he seems like he's still got a bit of a gruffer furiosity to him that I felt both actors would have been able to pull off. Alright. And who did I have? Uh, I had some predictions. I thought that um, I thought Ogata might be played by Phil Parsons. Um, I think partially just because I've been enjoying Phil Parsons in Yamato, and I'd like to hear more of him and stuff. Uh, and I thought... Injuro might be played by Robert McCollum, and I don't know why. I should really write notes for my rationale down on these things. Oh, well. Um, but enough of me not being able to remember why I made decisions. Who's actually playing these characters? Uh, Ogata is being played by Orion Pitts, who you know for such roles as uh, Kentaro and Yamada-kun in The Seven Witches, Ranta and Grimgar, Ashes and Illusions, and Dog Hummer in Blood Blockade Battlefront. 
Oh, you gotta love those Black Buff Day Battlefront names. And uh, Genjiro is being played by Dave Matronga, who uh, you know playing such roles as Manabu, Horikita in Classroom of the Elite, Hidaka in Flip Flappers, and Luke in Garo Vanishing Line. Uh, gentlemen, what did we think of these performances? Hardy. Um, I honestly do not remember Orion even being Ogata because, like I said, the character doesn't really make much of an impression unless, unless by impression you mean his face into the cliff before he falls into the lake. Yeah, so. Also, he's got a pretty good headshot ratio. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> as far as Genjiro is concerned, I think David did fine. Uh, you could definitely tell that this is not Shoto Todoroki that he's playing. This is a character who is much more sinister. And, uh, and yeah, just his the determination that he goes through when he says, you know, I'm going to get that wolf. I'm going to have its pelt. You could definitely tell that he means business and that he's, he's, he's going to get his fur. You know, he might have to slit a few throats, but he's going to get that fur. So I think he did a fine job. Uh, yes, go ahead, Sneeze. No, I... I don't have much memory of him right now, which is a shame. I quite like for this character from what I read in the manga. He... In... If this... He's the sort of character who you could d almost make your own narrative around. You could focus a narrative around him, and he's the shonen guy who's gonna get that wolf pelt to show he's the best hunter. Uh, I think more of that as it comes out and he starts delving deeper into this, it'll be way more... We'll be getting some great performances out of him, but right now, I'm still not fully on board with him yet. Uh, Andrew. I like Ori. Uh, I don't forget. I don't remember if it's Orion Pitts or Orion. I really like Orion Pitts every time I get to hear him, even if it was a small, it was a bit part like this. I do enjoy hearing him in things. I, I, I like hearing him in things. Um, I'd like to hear him in more things. So I'm glad I got to hear him even for a little bit. Uh, David Matranga, uh, I think does a solid job as this guy. He's definitely a lot, uh, mind the pun, colder than some previous performances. Her, her, her. Hey, yo. Chilling, man. Like Chilling. Thank you. His whole deal is that he is a soldier pretty much in it for the money. Why else would you be following <laughs> the guy coming up soon? But it's also very clear once he has his run-in with Ratar... He, his he's, he seems to come from a family of hunters, so you could feel, like, the intensity and the ferocity building up from, like, hard, hard not soldier to the desire to hunt and kill and for the thrill. And, like, you can see at the very end of that episode, at the very end of his segment, like, he's got that desire burning into him. He's got, like, a fire in his belly. And I don't believe you. I God think you're doing this on purpose. I'm not even trying for the show <laughs> jokes. I know, just just your chest. No, you, sometimes it's accidental. You could say, Andrew, that he found his own white whale, but it's a white wolf instead. Ah, classical <laughs> literature references. Yeah, split your lungs with blood and thunder, 
Wailing is very metal, unfortunately. That does sound metal as hell. Anyways, um, anyways, yeah, I, 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 I enjoyed, I enjoyed these two performances. Although, like the previous two, I think they suffer a little bit by the fact that neither of these characters have been in the show very long. Um, like, I like Orion as Ogata, but Ogata has a really cool fight scene, and he gets hit in the back of the head with a gun. And I mean, look, I assume this character died at that point. <laughs> that that he shows up again at all was kind of a surprise. Um, I was just saying, like, I, I like what Dave Matranga was doing with Kinjiro. He's perfectly good, but the character has not done much so far. I'm also surprised that he is alive. I also kind of assumed he was just cannon fodder. Like the other guys in his company who get eaten by bears. Oh, he's doing One bear. so much better than Oh, he's other doing way Oh, you mean, you mean like the, his little captain who, his, whose face is just hanging off by a thread at the end? Yeah. <sighs> Well, oh. you should say that you know. Uh, the, kudos to the captain. He uh, see, it, he it, put up quite a good face-off against uh, that bear. See, it's see, it's terrible, uh, but you're also right because that bit at the end where he's just staying there, just emptying his pistol into the dead bear, <laughs> was pretty great. Uh, in like a really terrible way. Yeah, he had the last laugh. Yeah, he. I feel the show's good at showing just enough without going too over-the-top graphic. Well, I have terrible news for you. That's because it's a TV show. The manga does not let the fuck up. You know what? That's... That's... You know what? That's also fair. <laughs> if you're... Andrew, Andrew... Andrew, I'm going to tell you right now. If you are squeamish, do not read anymore. Just don't. I will read more for my own curiosity, but... Ooh, just, God. I'm just... I'm just... I'm warning you. Like, this, this thing gets a mature rating for a reason. That's all. I believe you. But on that note, let us move on to Genjiro's boss. The most upsetting character in this thing. Jesus uh, fucking Christ, this guy. We we're, were talking about one Lieutenant Surumi. Surumi. One Lieutenant Surumi. Uh, he, he was a lieutenant in the Japanese army. He also fought in the Jap Japanese Russo War. Uh, but unlike Sugimoto, he did not fare quite as well. A shell blew off his scalp. And uh, don't believe him Don't believe him when he tells you that it caused a little bit of brain damage. It 100% caused a lot of brain damage. <laughs> oh boy, this, uh, this guy, he, he walks around, he's got a big metal plate strapped to his forehead now, and a lot of scarring around his eyes. And he is not nice people. <laughs> Everything about this character unnerves the shit out of me, and that's what makes him a really, really good villain. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Given that, gentlemen, did you have any predictions for this character? I did, actually. This is one of the few I actually had a couple Shoot. for. And because I like seeing these two play villains so much, we needed someone who needed to sound absolutely, positively terrifying and unhinged. Because that is pretty much what Usurmi is. Um, and so, for that reason, I picked Chuck Huber. Mm -hmm. And I also picked Vic Mignogna. Mm. Mm. Oh, that would... That, yeah. That'd be fun. Oh, boy. oh, yes. Because usually Vic is known for his blonde-haired heroic types, but he's also played a lot of really crazy, um, sick, nasty villains as well. And, uh, and I would like to see him take the role as Tsurumi and just play this weird, uh, eyebrowless, scalpless, brain-bleeding finger-biter 
just and just make it completely hammy. And so, and we already know what Chuck Huber is capable <laughs> of. I mean, oh, yeah. yeah, yes. So that's who I picked. Uh, Sneeds, Andrew. I had also wondered about Vic Mignogna. Vic has been known for a while to be able to push the edge in less mentally stable characters. And there is a absolutely terrifying moment that we see at the end of the fourth episode uh, where our dear lieutenant sits down for dangos with, uh, with our dear friend Sugimono. And it is a cringeworthy moment that I'm sure I won't reiterate here, but after he does something incredibly, chillingly violent, he answers in the manga, and I read aloud, But know this, even if you are indeed immortal and your candle of your life is impossible to extinguish, I'll bite and chew that candle down to a nub if I have to. I gotta ask you, Sneebs, did you have any flashbacks to Rin, Daughters of Namasani during that scene? Yeah. Yeah, that's actually that type of crazy that Vic can really crank up when he gets into this. That line, that type of delivery, that type of disgusting insinuation that he might literally mean biting Sugimoto to death. Yeah. Vic, Party, how this do one's for you. up on the episodes where there's like one moment that like I actually cringe extremely hard at. Like we did Kakegurui recently, and I won't I won't go into spoilers. I'm usually pretty okay with a lot of, like, violence and stuff. But there is one part of Kakegurui where I'm just like... <gasps> just got extremely uncomfortable about. And in this show, it's the fucking Dango Skewer! <sighs> it's like, I knew he was planning yeah. something. I'm like... I thought he was going to stab him through the hand, and that would have hurt, but I figured that's the logical thing with a sharp item. You just stab him in the hand. No, he goes through the cheeks. Well, I'll say this, you know, he's actually doing him a favor because these days, piercings like that in a place like Los Angeles will cost you a lot of money. So... <laughs> You're a hell of a man. I'm not even going Didn't to acknowledge that. I'm just going to continue on with my predictions for the character of Face McSplody. <laughs> I predicted the following two actors. I thought Jeremy Schwartz would have been really interesting for this, kind of similar to his uh, antagonist character in Drifters, but he's got a very deep voice that I thought would have been very menacing. And Barry Yandel has a very distinct and interesting tone I thought would have been very very fitting for a character as interesting as Lieutenant Tsurumi. Actually, I also had Barry Yandel, and um, I also thought David Wall might be good here. I suspect because I've been swimming in the Junji Ito collection for about a month now, and all those performances are very fresh in my mind. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, but on that note, let's get to who's actually playing Lieutenant Tsurima, which is, in fact, David Wald, uh, who you know for playing such characters as Marasaki in Drifters, Bishop in Garo Vanishing Line, and he's playing Gogo 13 in Gogo 13, which seems like correct casting in this instance, even though Gogo doesn't actually say anything most of the time. He has like 13 lines, which in the entire 50 episode Go show, so. 
I don't know. I don't know if you're. I don't know if you're exaggerating or not, and that bugs. Go, me. go, 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 go. Thirteen speaks so little that in the manga he'll have thought bubbles that are just in ellipses. <laughs> he speak. He says that little. So I have not seen the whole series, but I believe Hardy is probably correct. Anyways, gentlemen, what did we think of David Wald's performance? Hardy, would you like to start us off? Um. On one hand, I do think he could have gotten a, a lot more hammy with it, because Sudami is a deranged, sick piece of work. On the other hand, I can also appreciate how reserved he keeps it, because Sudami at least tries to put on the appearance that he is, in fact, a respectable lieutenant. Uh, in a way, it sort of works because Sudami is very polite. He's like, excuse me, I'm sorry. Sometimes my brain leaks a little bit and I apologize. He, he, he's, yeah, he's not, he, he has no problems putting up appearances, you know, be polite and respectful. But at the same time, he's completely unhinged. And the way David plays him is a bit more on the straight lace side and a bit less on the crazed individual side. And it works rather well because it's not as hammy as you suspect, but there's this underlying sense of dread. Like, this man is talking to you like your neighbor next door and yet the very next thing he bites your finger off and says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not quite right in the head. I apologize for that. And then spits it back at you. So yeah, it's it's it, it has this underlying sense of uncertainty and dread, like this man could kill you at any moment and then apologize to your face for. So I, I quite like, I, I wasn't 100% satisfied on it, but it definitely did grow on me. So, you know, that's, it does speak well to, to David's performance, how he's able to balance both both extremities so well. I have so a well. very terrifying image that you just put in my head. I'm now imagining Sarumi doing, like, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood stuff. Because you said the neighborhood store, <laughs> and I just watched a uh, Sunday a morning, uh, CBS Sunday morning segment about uh, Mr. Rogers, and I'm just now imagining... The terrifying David Wald voice of him just being, Come now, won't you please be my neighbor? In, in your defense, won't you be my neighbor? In your defense, Andrew, I think that is the exact level of upsetting they are going for. So good yeah, call. Yeah, kind of. Okay, I'm done. All right, Sneeves. I was on a similar wavelength as Hardy, where having read this, I was expecting they'd add more crazy to it, but it made total sense they would go in this direction. Golden Kamaway is a story that feels like a tall tale with larger-than-life characters in a very realistic quote-unquote setting, and I would have expected them to go full-bore banana crackers with this, but to keep the polished, polite, good soldier voice going throughout adds to the disturbing nature of the character, and I have to commend uh, Jeremy for working this with our dear friend, Mr. Wall. So, uh, okay. So, uh, I'll be honest. 
I feel this character genuinely did not- I don't think David Wald needed to be, like, over-the-top hammy with this because of the fact that this character is naturally fucking off the walls that I feel it's actually more effective that he does seem more reserved and mm -hmm. classy. I think there's something about the disconnect about the way this character acts and the way this character act the way this character acts and the way the character sounds like i feel it's scarier that way that i i yeah. actually think that is the correct decision to make him a little more reserved crazy scary instead of like over the top i think that's a more defect effective call because it's just this dude it's just naturally like Oh, I'm sorry, my brain ain't juices sometimes, so I felt the need to bite your finger off, so... Oh, I'm sorry, I felt the need to stab you through the face, cause you're fucking with me right now. I ain't gonna let that fly. Anyways, it's rather cold out, I'm gonna go grab a coat. I have a nice coat in the back, would you like to see? Mm. <laughs> so, Jesus fucking Christ, David Wald, you're scary as shit, holy fuck. This is not the. This is not a man yeah. I ever want to cross in my entire life, and that entire interrogation scene, everything David Wald was doing there, I was so on edge and uncomfortable, and he's so good and scary. I want this man like fifty feet away from me at all times. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, like I, 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 I like the way that David Wald kind of downplays it in part because I feel like. I think, I think there's potential for him to get hammier if he needs to, but I think something that works is that when you're playing uh, Tsurumi, you don't need to be that scary. Look at how he's designed. He's already horrifying. And I feel like if you lead into the sort of the off-putting politeness, it's like it's like if Hannibal were bad at hiding the fact that he's an evil monster. It's all, it's all, it's all this polite, you know, it's all very, he's polite and kind and respectful, but you could also tell that he's going to do very bad things to you if he decides to, and you're not going to have a lot, of, you're not going to have much of a chance against him. Um, I was really, I was really happy. I think he's just, he, he played into kind of like the, the politeness and determination while also giving enough of that hint of what's wrong with him that, uh, it just sold it a lot for me. I really enjoyed it. Um, he's probably one of the highlights of the show for me, I think. Um, I don't even know if he. I don't even he know if he's like a minor antagonist or if he's one of like the major ones. Regardless, he is effective at being an antagonist for sure. Because everything about him is just like, ooh, I don't want to fuck with you. Nope. Yeah. Um, so let's let's move on to a character who's significantly less upsetting. Ten out of ten. Please never be my neighbor ever. <laughs> <laughs> Won't oh. you eat my neighbor? Oh boy! <sighs> Another one for the sizzle reel. Uh, so, so moving on, we have a significantly <laughs> less upsetting character. We have uh, Shiraishi Yoshitaki, aka the Escape King. Uh, he is a he's a thief living in Hokkaido. He's a butt monkey. I mean, yes, he's he's about as close to a straight up comic relief character as you get in this series. Uh, he is a master escape artist. He can escape from everything except Wolf Jaws. He is very bad at escaping from wolf jaws, so don't let him get stuck in those. I also like the fact that Esharipa calls him the Scat King, as like, it's like, I don't think she she meant it, but that is a major insult. I mean, that also sounds like, I, I feel like she probably doesn't have a very high opinion of him anyways. 
Probably not. So, gentlemen, did we have any predictions for our Escape King? I did, actually. And um, this is where I was just sort of jostling for... I was jostling my names around. Because I actually had... I hadn't nailed down any predictions and I was just throwing things around. So I actually had two that I also used for other mm -hmm. uh, predictions. I gave him both Ian Sinclair and Jared Green for this role. Because I'd like to see both of their takes on this particular role. This particular character. Uh, Sneeps? Yeah, me? I also thought of an Ian Sinclair role. This character is goofy as hell hell. He is the character you could trust out of all of these fools simply because he's a bad man you want to like. You want to like him because he is so harmless and amusing and you know along the course of the journey he's going to grow a little bit of courage. He's going to do the cowardly lion act but until he grow his uh, courage grows three sizes He's going to lie, cajole, steal, and otherwise do anything he can to save his skin. And I just saw Ian Sinclair's space dandy as the layabout card who's going to do anything to try and get by. I respect the phrasing, save his skin. Fitting. Very fitting. As for me, uh, I also thought Ian Sinclair would have been a very uh, good fit for Shiraishi's a goofy but intriguing character. Also, would you believe me, this was where I, I put David Wall down? Because <laughs> this was where I put David Wall down as well. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> <sighs> um, so shockingly, I also had Ian Sinclair, but he was actually my, my second choice. My first choice for this would have been Sunny Straight because I'm a horribly predictable man. And hey, it's a funny thief character. Who plays Lupin? Who plays Lupin in Funimation? Sunny Street. Let's put him there. Shiraishi's not a good man, but he's a better neighbor than I think uh, uh, David Wald's character would be. I mean, I mean that's, a th that's the sort of thing. Shiraishi would be villainous in most other series, but by the standards of the characters here, he's a sweetheart. Shiraishi's the kind of guy who you bring to uh, eat uh, some snacks at your house one day, and then he asks him, and then you ask him, "Hey, I let you a rake like three months ago. Am I ever getting it back?" Uh, no. I gotta use the bathroom, and then he just runs the fuck away. <laughs> later, you find out all your. Later, you find out all your fine china is missing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how? Jokes on him. <laughs> However, in this instance, all answers are wrong. Uh, Yoshitaki is in fact played by Ben Phillips. Uh, he would known for playing such roles as Fernando in Garo the Animation, uh, Pokotaro in Recovery of an MMO Junkie, and Tsukiji Yabo in Star Blazers 2199. Gentlemen, what did we think of Ben Phillips in this role? Hardy. Um, this is probably, dare I say, the biggest role that Ben has been in so far? I mean, I think the three I listed might be the only, like, lead role credits he has on ANN anyways, so probably yes. Yeah. No. Um, he sounds funny, which, you know, which is what the character is striving for. So I really didn't have much to say. He's entertaining to listen to. That's no, pretty much it. Fair enough. Uh, seems. I found he fit the role incredibly well. The This character sounded a little older than I would have expected him to be. I thought this was a, a bit of more of the the young 
the young playboy type, but this uh, this sounds still playful and not too serious and able to do the wide ranges of going through hypothermia, bartering with the people around him to try and uh, arrive towards some deal to save their behinds. And I was entertained and found that, yep, I was liking this character, even though I know I shouldn't trust him. All right. I was perfectly um, on board with that. I, I, I've heard Ben Phillips and things, but I wasn't like... <clears throat> There's a couple actors where it's like, I hear their voice, it's like, I know exactly what I'm getting. I, I, I didn't know what I was going to get with Ben Phillips playing Shiraishi, though, but I gotta say, he does a really nice job, and he does a really... He goes pretty wild with making Shiraishi sound very amusing and super ridiculous excuse me uh he's got a i think it's a deeper tone of voice than i was expecting but he's got some great chemistry with the two characters and his screams and his reactions to a lot of things every time ritar was biting him he screamed his screams were hilarious and he just sounds naturally like amusing to me so i actually think while i wasn't sure what to expect with shiraishi he fit this role a lot better than i was expecting to and i'm overall pretty impressed yeah no uh, i enjoyed him a lot um i thought the scene that i knew was going to make or break it for me was the bit where him and sugimoto fall in the river that try not to freeze to death uh and i thought he played that very well i just i enjoy him he's the right level of serious for the show but also kind of a little cartoony in places uh and i thought it worked well for him uh, yeah, like, I enjoy him a lot. I'm looking forward to him being a more regular cast. I'm really looking forward to seeing the beginning of episode 5 where he strips naked and greases himself up to slip through some bars on a window. Oh, I'm so excited. Oh. That'll be fun. Let's say what now? Things happen. Let's put it like that. So, so, so they need to break Sugimoto out of jail. So to do <laughs> this, he strips himself down to his underwear, greases himself up, and slips through the barred window. This... <laughs> Am I the only one thinking this sounds like the plot of an It's Always Sunny episode? Look, I'm not I'm not gonna say that Golden Kamui has way more in common with It's Always Sunny than you would think it does, but yes, you're correct, it does, doesn't it? Holy fucking shit. Holy shit. <laughs> Their relationship is like yes. it's always sunny character yeah. dynamic. Jesus Christ! It works! <laughs> <laughs> The gang eats squirrel brains. Alright, how long till there's a Twitter account where people just take uh, screen caps of Golden Kamui and put subtitles from It's Always Sunny underneath it? <laughs> the, ga the gang um, adopts a baby bear. <laughs> it's always sunny in Hokkaido. Let's face it, It's Always Sunny is anime. <laughs> the gang tries to eat poop. The gang goes hunting with Stingray. There's so Venom. many of these, but boy, now that I realize the entire relationship between our main cast of characters is kind of like it, it's always sunny dynamic, suddenly oh. the show makes a lot more sense <laughs> to me. It's pretty fucking great. Yeah. Yes, uh, I enjoyed Ben Phillips a lot. As just a side note, um, I checked again. He's in fact been in a lot more than three major roles, according to ANN, so ignore me. Uh, also, apparently, he's like the main sub one of the main subtitlers for Funimation, according to ANN, which that's a fun fact. Impressive. There's a I lot know, of people. I know, but I wasn't expecting duty his um, extra credits uh, listing to be longer than his voice cast one. Uh, but regardless, yes, thank you, thank you for your hard work. 
Good on you, uh, Ben. But anyways, uh, let's get on to the uh, I, the first of our two main characters, I'd say, the leads of this show. Uh, we have the one, the only, Ashirpa. Uh, Ashirpa is a, uh, a uh, Anui... Anui... Ainu. Ainu. Oh, God. Oh, it's been a long day. An Ainu teenager uh, who has fallen into this plot. Partially, uh, you know, you get a little money, but also because she wants revenge because her dad was one of the people who was trying to get the gold together in the first place and then got murdered for it, so... Is she, is she a teenager? I assume. Like, I mean, I assume she's like a young teenager, or roughly. I, I'm not sure how old she's supposed to be. Like she is very short because she's Ainu. Yeah, I, th- uh, I want to say I want to say they mention her age at some point. I just don't remember. Okay, there we go. It's, it's 12. twelve. Yeah. Okay. So I, I could have also assumed she was like nine or ten or something, but she is also very naturally short. Yes. So immediate preteen. Um, where was I? Yes. Um. She's uh, she's very proficient with a bow and arrow. She has a giant wolf for a pet, and she has the best ridiculous faces. You can make all. And she doesn't like eating poop. No, she does not like eating poop. No matter how many times Sugimoto insists that it's actually miso, she does not like eating poop. The entire arc of her and the miso is like probably one of the greatest in this show. I'm just gonna leave it at that. So, uh, gentlemen, did we have any predictions who will be playing Ashirpa? I did. Mm Mm-hmm. I had two, mm-hmm. and my reasoning for these was I kind of wanted someone to play her with an accent because she is sort of foreign, in a way, to the other Japanese cast. Um, and with that in mind, I picked oh, Afia Yu and Sarah Wiedenheft. Hmm. Because they both have sort of natural accents to their voices. And um, I, especially Sarah, she has that sort of, that Danish, I believe. Is it Dutch or is it Danish? I can't remember. I but, think Weedenhef is probably Dutch, so I'm going to go with that. Yeah. But um, she has a sort of natural accent to her voice. And all she see, also, she's very tiny, so she would be... Um, appropriate to play a character as small as a Shirpa. And um and Afia actually is Japanese uh by blood, so she can she has sort of a natural accent to her voice as well. So those who that's who I chose. Uh Sneems, Andrew? I was just gonna say to make it very quick, I had three predictions for a Shirpa and Hardy has two of them already <laughs> down. I also predicted I also was thinking in my mind Afia Yu and Sarah Wiedenhef, but I also had uh, I also thought Bryn April would have been a solid safe choice as well. Sneeps. My first pick was still Afia Yu. I feel she is the go-to for young girl characters who can also do maturity when the time calls. Uh, this character is supposed to be very very competent and not just devolve into little kid stuff, and Afia can really not. So she's li- like a little native Chihiro, almost. Yeah, so yeah. Just add that's a, a little good... more justification for my choice. I think she's also really good at, like, young boys and some, like, smaller, sassier, tomboy-esque characters, which, like, Ash- Ashirpa is kind of like a very tomboy character as well, so I thought that would have worked. Her natural voice would have worked very in line with that character, too. Yeah, uh, I also had Afia Yu. 
Uh, and I also thought, because um, I was mentioning earlier, I thought this might be a big seller for Funimation, and they might put some of their kind of big league names on it. I thought Monica Rial, if she was going to show up here, might show up here. That's because, you know, she has a good little girl voice, and she's a talented actress, yada, yada, yada. Um, but, uh, <laughs> shockingly, I was right, which never happens with this. It is, in fact, Monica Rial who plays Ashirpa. I'm amazed, frankly. Um... You would know Monica Real from playing such roles as Michiko, Michiko and Hachin, Stocky and Panting and Stocky with Gardevelt, and uh, you can currently hear her playing um, Tsuya Tsui, aka Froppy, in My Hero Academia. Gentlemen, what do we think of Monica in this role? Hardy, if you want to start us off. First off, let me preface this by saying I like the performance itself. My main complaint is that it feels a bit too safe. And I'm, we're going to get back into this when we talk about Sugimoto as well. But it seemed that they really could have taken the advantage and gone outside of their uh, usual casting choices and, and pick someone who you don't always hear from. And the fact that they sort of defaulted to Monica kind of is a disappointment to me. Because you know how I like to see adventurous casting. Um, it's like they... They keep the adventurous casting to the lesser-known shows, but then for the big titles, because this was a pretty big title for this season, they, they, they tend to play it very safe. And that is, that is the one main complaint I have with it. As far as the performance itself goes, I do appreciate how Monica plays Ashirpa very, I want to say, matter-of-factly because she has this tone to her voice to where she speaks very almost phonetically like you can tell that Japanese probably isn't her first language even though she is very fluent in it because she tends to say very what's the word um she tends to speak very prim and proper when speaking to Sugimoto uh very point A to point B um in most cases, very... if that makes any sense whatsoever, because it is, yeah, it, it, she she's very matter of fact, very down to earth, and uh, because she's technically speaking to someone with in her second language, and so I appreciate how Monica sort of plays her, almost not I wouldn't say robotically, but very, very um, ah, I don't even know what the proper way. It's like there is some sort of distance right. between the two. There's a definite language barrier even though she speaks the language and um, it, it. I do appreciate how Monica plays her as that. She's not completely fluent in Japanese so there is sort of a, a, a difference there. And I, I that is one thing I noted that I did really appreciate. Yeah. Uh, Sneebs. I found that Monica's role uh was well cast and well acted. She does have to play the mouthpiece a lot of the time. Let let have her explain I knew history and I knew sociology, but she does so with those little crackles of warmth when she speaks about the uh, how the I knew revere the bears and when she goes into that bit about her backstory with Ratar we get a focus of someone whose range is more than just info dumpy, but who is usually focused on the here and now notions of let's survive this guy who's sniping at us. 
Let's see if we can deal with this one Kamui bear. All in all, she does an excellent job. I think Hardy has onto something when he says these could be cast more adventurously. But, again, I think Funimation is trying to play this safe because this could have been a real big hit of the season. And I think they wanted to make sure they had their most trusted folk on it who could ride it out if, indeed, this did become the great ball of fire that they were anticipating. So, yeah, uh, like I said... I think uh, Marca Rial is a is a very strong fit for Ashirpa. Um, before I go into uh, my tangent about uh, my thoughts on the casting or whatever, or not I just in general think she has she has a really good she's a really interesting character. She is she's a mouthpiece a lot of the time because she is literally the introduction to both Sugimoto and the audience's knowledge of this culture that a lot of people don't understand and somebody needs to who understands the native language has to be the one to really be the guide and explain it because there's a lot of things about this culture that are strange and interesting that none of us would have ever known so it's a big job there but she could have just been like a whole mouthpiece, but the character itself is extremely stern, but also really goofy and funny, and there's a lot of conflict between her and Sugimoto. Like, the whole thing, I like the fact that there is distance between the two of them at first, that naturally, as they start hanging out together, she grows more and more, like, comfortable with him, that she gets, like, able to yell at him, and they start joking about things and food. And I just really like the fact that they come closer to each other in that regard, and they grow more casual with each other. And I think that's a really interesting relationship. I also just love a lot of her line deliveries of things, where it's like, I wanted to eat the bunny now. And then it's like, once she he sees the miso, she's like, that's poop! Why are you feeding me poop? And then, like, I, just, the fact that she's screaming about her grandma eating her poop just made me laugh hysterically. I love <laughs> delivery of that, as well as just the casual, who's a good boy? Who's a good boy? You are when she's petting Ritar, which is an amazing egg scene, as well as just, like, the heart of, like, okay, here's the thing. I'm, I don't, here's the thing, we at Dub Talk talk about, like, we, we commend, like, out, out of the wall picks, or interesting, risky picks. That being said, choices like this is not like, it is not like a, oh, this is bad, or, oh, they could have done better. It's like, no, I think it is still a really good fit for this kind of character, and I think Monica does a lot of really interesting things with this character, especially in regards to being both really serious, like, info dump, as well as being very entertaining, eccentric, informative. Like, a safe casting is not a bad choice to me, and that is not something I think that bothers me as much as I think maybe you, Hardy, but that's just my, that's just my two cents on the matter. I think... Monica does a strong job as Asripa. She does a lot of good job with the comedic timing as well as the vulnerability and the action dialogue too. You know, I, I, I've also enjoyed Monica's performance a lot. I thought she's she's been very strong. I thought she's captured the voice of the character a lot where like she is serious a lot of the time, but not like 
not like self serious, just like you know, she really takes like hunting and a lot of what she does. Uh, but like, I have you know, sort of stoic dignity about it. Um, but you know, she also has a giant dog she likes petting because who doesn't want to pet a giant dog? Um, and yeah, no, I, I thought she, like I was you know, saying with the, like, the show in general, it tends to cover a lot of tonal and emotional range, often within the same episode, and that applies to the character as well, and I like that Monica was able to go from being, like, you know, dramatic, and now she's having an action scene, and now something funny is happening, and kind of nail all that and make it feel very consistent. Um, yeah, no, I've been, I'm really happy with it, and I'm looking forward to hearing more, nothing else. Um, so on that note... Let's get to our, our lead character. Uh, one, one, Saichi Sugimoto, a.k.a. the immortal Sugimoto. A veteran... A.k.a. Kiss my ass, bitch, I'm immortal. Uh, a, uh... He's, uh, as you mentioned earlier, he's a veteran. He's a veteran of the war. Uh, he has a lot of really, really awful scarring. And he really should be dead. It's a little mystifying. Like, as I... Yeah, like, as I noted, one of... Like, like, one... I will note, like... He looks like he went through a waffle iron. I mean, you're right, he does. <laughs> like, you're fuck. You're so right, he does. Damn it. Finally found out what the awful waffle from Salute Your Shorts will do to oh, you. Oh, boy. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, no, like, I think I mentioned earlier, one of the first things you see happen to the show is he's, like, charging up a hill against the Russian forces, and he gets shot in the neck. And his response to this is to just keep going and start murdering the Russians in their trench. Uh, because that's just how hardcore Sugimoto is. And then later he got that's thrown out of the army do. for punching a superior officer. Because that's also how Sugimoto do. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we've found that, gentlemen, uh, who did, Do you have any predictions for who would play Sugimoto? I did. Mm -hmm. um, I had one extremely, extremely, extremely safe prediction based entirely off the character's appearance. Uh-huh. And then I had one prediction of who I would like to see play the character being more adventurous in my casting. Mm -hmm. For the adventurous choice, I chose Chris Wakeham. Mm -hmm. mm. And for the extremely safe choice, I pretty much defaulted to Ian Sinclair. All right. Yeah. Sneeds, Andrew? I, he's not doing it anymore, but I first thought this is a Liam O'Brien role for sure. You could smell central badass male lead, and if he, Liam O'Brien was still doing this before the video game people took him, he would so totally be a great Sugimoto. Given that that wasn't the case, though, I went out on a limb here and thought maybe Aaron Roberts? He's done other manly characters in our wonderful thing of 91 days and I figured he could probably stand to try this out a little bit uh, Sugimoto is a bit of a warmer character than what I remember his from that show but I thought it would be a fun uh, thing to Jeffy? try uh, yes I had uh, two in mind for Sugimoto uh -huh. I thought uh, Rico Fajardo would have been a another interesting fit for this character as well as a another interesting choice but he's shown time and time again he is extremely capable of pretty much anywhere you put him in damon mills <laughs> Ooh, that would have been interesting um, he, is, mm -hmm. he is the exact opposite of a battle-hearted veteran he is a very pretty man yes but he's also a very pretty man who apparently has eight billion voices so i'm sure he could probably do it if he wanted to 
Um, let's see, for myself, uh, I had two, one of which was like Hardy. I also thought Ian Ziggler would be a very obvious pick, uh, in part because he's just an actor who I think can do both the rough and tumble action stuff and also be very funny when he wants to. And I also thought David Wall might be a good pick here. I thought there's something about it, the quality of his voice that I think fits Subimoto. Uh, and as it turns out, uh, we were on to something. Sugimoto uh, is in fact played by Ian Sinclair. Uh, you know Ian from playing such roles as Space Dandy in Space Dandy, uh, Brooke in One Piece, and let us not forget, Ian, this is not the first time Ian Sinclair has played a man who cannot die. He had previously played Dallas Genoa in Bacano. That poor drowning bastard. Oh, he deserved he it. Dallas? He's Dallas. Yeah. Dallas was such a piece of he's shit. He's a huge piece of shit. <laughs> he deserved That's it. That's why you don't feel bad when he's condemned to drown forever. <laughs> yeah, okay. Let's... All right. Understandably, uh, it, it, Ian's character ends up a lot better in this show for certain values of better. He gets to eat well and has a happy family, and, and including the baby bear. All the time. Can survive it. He's a protagonist. Look, just because you can survive having things jammed through your cheeks doesn't mean you'll want to. You are going to the wrong sort of bar. Let's go to bars, no. anyways. Um, gentlemen, what did we think of Ian in this role, Hardy? Um, what can I say? It's Ian playing this role yet again. Um, we've seen him play this role. Uh, to a lesser extent as uh, Zap from Blood Blockade Battlefront, but to a greater extent as Warwick from Gangsta. Um, and just, and this is why my, where my one complaint comes from is that again, just like Monica, it's incredibly safe casting. Um, yes, we know that Ian plays this role very, very well. Are we going to give anyone else a shot to see if they could play it just as well? And if I, if I may for a second, right. I, I feel, in some regards, this cast is a little more adventurous than I think, in some regards, like, it is being given credit for. Like, Ben Phillips is not a choice I would have ever predicted for Shira Shiraishi, for example. And, and I agree with you, for the most part, outside of the main duo. I feel fair, like fair. the main duo was just very, very typecast. And they do both do a stand-up job. Uh, Ian Sinclair is, of course, very funny when he needs to. He's very crazy when he needs to. His shouts of, I am Sugimoto, are second to none. And that's why I think he got cast as this character, because he has proven time and time again that he's good at playing this character. Um, like I said, it's not a complaint against the performance, to be honest, because the performance is great. My only complaint is that where is the sort of adventurous spirit in the casting in general? And for the most part, yes, the cast is very more adventurous than what we're used to, but it just seems that for the main duo, it we it was very it's it's typecast. That, and you know, I I that... complain I complain about this probably more often than I should, and it's just it's something that gets to me I've been doing this, talking about this for years and years now. It's something that gets to me, probably will always get to me, but at the end of the day, yes, Ian Sinclair is a very good fit as Sugimoto. He plays it well, and he's very enjoyable. So that's all I have to say about that. 
no, that's totally fair. I just fe I just felt like it was sh selling it a little short to say that the show itself was playing it safe when I felt a couple of places it was not. That's all I wanted to say. You're that's totally fair, otherwise. Yeah. My take for this is about the same. Ian Sinclair was not the character I thought of with Sugimoto. I thought Sugimoto was a little rougher when he had his goofy moments. They, I felt that came out of... That really had some of its comedy because it contrasted with his rough appearance. And I thought, for a guy who has been shot in the throat and has come through hell countless times... I would have thought he uh, casting someone with a little bit more of an edge to his voice would have been the case here. And Ian Sinclair, while full of surprises, always sounds like he's just on the edge of cracking a joke. And while that does tie into Sugimoto's laid-backness, I would have thought there was a touch of a disciplined edge of a soldier sort of circling around that that doesn't quite come out Ian. That said... When we actually hear the performances, we get to see the excellence that is Ian's acting range put on display. That line when he goes into about, uh, there's a special place in hell for me then for killing people was chilling to hear. Uh, yeah, it's as you'd expect, Ian Sinclair doing a good job. It would be nice if we could get someone else to do that, to do, try out a new role and cast someone as a leading man, but this was something they probably were banking on as the big thing of the season and put a big guy in the role. All right. No complaints here. As for what I think of Ian, as far as casting choices, like, I, I do think it is still an extremely strong choice because I, I didn't quite equate ian to this character maybe as easily as some of you others because i've heard him in a lot more comedic things as of lately and i guess i saw him as a more naturally goofy voice i forgot about the fact that he has a really gruff edge to him too and i feel when it comes to like the violence and the action especially the the introduction scene there's a raw visceralness to his voice that I genuinely forgot that Ian was capable of pulling off. And I hear some of these screams he's pulling off, and I genuinely think it sounds like it hurts. I forgot he could do that. And it works, just on the grounds that, like, this is an interesting character because it really is another huge mix of, like, this is gory as shit, bloody and violent, as well as also a man who is simultaneously takes in a baby bear and is just like, I'm gonna take care of it! I'm gonna be his new mommy! Which, I adore that line. Just the fact that he doesn't say, I'm not gonna be his dad, I'm gonna be his mommy. It's just so fascinating. And just the delivery in a lot of these big screams, as well as just, I adore the freaking when he's trying to play with the kids and he's like, <laughs> come up with a scream. Like the, uh, no, you gotta be louder with this. And it's like, <gasps> they just ignore him. I thought that was perfect. And I thought oh, it's fun. It was so good. And it's... I, I think Ian Sinclair is... Like, there's a lot more going into this than I think I, 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 I will give credit for. Because there's a lot to go into the same recording booth to be like... I have to scream and shout and scream bloody murder while also kind of being a goofball and having a casual uh, 
forest cooking show with my adopted daughter, but... Also, I adore the dynamic and relationship of Sugimoto and Ashripa because there's the contrast of the fact that, like, he kills so many and that she is kind of grounding him in that to not needlessly kill when he doesn't need to. And I find that dynamic generally interesting. But he will do what he has to, sur to survive. Like, boy, will he do what he has to. He does the chair flip and he's getting stabbed by the twins. As he's screaming that he's immortal. Like, he is so goddamn cool, but also somebody I want to be my dad. He's the <laughs> long-lost McElroy brother. That's a very specific thing, I think, that's ahead of my is time. Is he Dougie McElroy on the TV show? Oh, boy. Exactly. That would be confused with the reference only he and Sneed's probably roots understand. Um, yeah, no, I... It's a deep cut. It's a deep cut, like bear claw across your abdomen. Oh, anyways, um, yeah, I really enjoyed this performance. Um, Ian, like pound for pound, is one of my probably one of my favorite actors in the Funimation acting pool. I've enjoyed him in I think almost everything I've heard of him. Um, and I don't disagree with Hardy's assertion that like this is the role Ian Sinclair has played before, but I also love hearing Ian Sinclair play this role. And I just I thought he hit all the right notes. I thought he was good at playing the like sort of angry mania that Sugimoto has, but also just kind of, you know, the gentleness and the comedy and his relationship with the Sherpa. And it was just a delight to hear him. I thought he he took, again, another, like, character who has to cover a lot of emotional range, often, like, you know, in, in a fairly short amount of time, and was able to pull that off. And I appreciated that, because I was, I was looking forward to this show, and if the dub for this hadn't been good, I probably would have been a little heartbroken. <laughs> This is 100% the kind of thing I want to, like, maybe not all my friends, given the level of violence, but, like, there are definitely people I know who are like, here, you should watch this. And, you know, if you're just not in the mood for subtitles, you can turn on the English track and enjoy this a lot, too. Um, mm -hmm. So I was very... Because we, we all know the giant CGI bear didn't do it any look, I Look, okay. I, like the giant, look I like the giant CGI bear. It was ugly as hell, and I am here for that. I'm so proud... <laughs> I'm so proud we've gone almost two hours, and none of us had brought up the CGI. I shall, I'll be, I'm I'm proud I shall of be honest. Us. Until Hardy brought it up, I'd forgotten about it. <laughs> As it should be. As it should be. It's. I get what you're trying to go for, but boy, is it. It doesn't contrast with the style you're trying to. Come I mean, I feel like I feel I kind of feel like that was the point. Like a lot of the other animals are like, they're you know they're like gentle prey, like the rabbits, or they're like no, Ratare. No, the director uh -huh. the director explained it was a specific choice. Uh -huh. I just don't think it exactly worked. I mean, I think it did, but I also watch a lot of cheap crap where you're kind of trying to like do with what you have. So I might be a little more used to that. Fair um, enough, fair enough. Anyways. Uh, the CGI fought the fire looks so fucking bad though. <laughs> I kinda also like the bad the fire See, looks. I don't I don't mind the fire because it's like it's just like a video of fire. I think that's uh, what like, bugs you know, me. If... It looks like something you'd find in After Effects. It's like usually you try hiding the fact that it looks like After Effects. So yeah. it kinda it kinda gives you sort of it kind of looks like the Aqua Teen fire. 
And that's not what the show should be making me think of Aqua Team yeah. Hunger Force, but it kind of. I think I, I think I like it because it kind of like it makes it feel like a B movie. Like uh, the thing it reminds, the thing, I don't know if this is on purpose. The thing it reminds me of is at some point um, Hideki Anno did a little short where he made he made a he made an Ultraman cartoon, but it was animated to recreate the kind of like cheap ass special effects you got in like seventies Japanese superhero shows. Um, and it looked it looked really neat. so it was like Ninja Slayer. Yeah, basically, and it looked really neat as a consequence. Um, I'll say the opening is kind of going for like a B like B movie role the way the fil it's filtered. Mm. I also really like the visual transitions of like the text mm. and they're the lines of the tattoos. I th that was something I noticed today. I'm like, that's a really cool book. Yeah. Um, also, Man with a Mission is so fucking cool. <laughs> um, where was I? All right. Uh, on that note, uh, should we move on to final thoughts? Yes. All right. Um, mm -hmm. Hardy, would you like to start us off? Um, what really is there to say that hasn't already been said? It's, uh, it's a solid dub for what it is. Um, while the show does have its issues primarily in the production and animation department, uh, the dub certainly helps it out a lot. And uh, I really have, other than a few casting choices, I really have no major complaints. I think that it's really spectacular how they are able to cover the Ainu language and incorporate it into the dialogue which was fantastic. Um, I don't really have an issue with dirtying up the dialogue like like some others do, because I'm not even sure they used those kinds of words back then. So, um, mm. yeah, I think it's a very stellar production, and uh, I'm overall very pleased with it. Yeah. I like what their dub cast has done. I wasn't fully in love with this adaptation when I first watched it. There are, there are certain animation and directorial shortcuts that are made that make sense from a budget standpoint, but really take away what makes part of this series so gripping. But its core subject matter is so damn solid, and the cast lives up to exactly what this feels like to me. This is a western. This is a story of rough-and-tumble people in a rough-and-tumble world doing what they can to try to get out ahead. And everyone who comes to their role lives up to those big, pulpy archetypes with enough humanity and nuance that our friend Jeremy Inman really pulls out of them. And I'm glad we got to get this. There are some things that could be a little bit different, I've found myself slowly being won over to the idea that this should have a little bit more profanity. This is a little bit like Deadwood, I think might be a better comparison than Game of Thrones. This is something of a rough and gritty world where a language adaptation would want to capture the idea this is a frontier or a place of scum and villainy, and that the rough characters living here should be voicing things in turn but from what we do have it's perfectly fine and i would love right. to hear more of it as for my thoughts on the dub itself i think there's a lot of like interesting choices some safe some not but i think every actor is really doing a lot 
with the material they are given. Some don't have as much material to work with. Don't. Yeah. Some don't have as much material to work with yet, but the but some of the ones that have gotten to really, dare I say, chew a little into the material a little more have done a lot with it. And I'm very much enjoying a lot of these diverse and interesting performances. Uh, as for the series itself, the adaptation is not perfect. It's got some noticeable issues with like some visual animation stuff, but regardless then, the story and the characters still make this show, regardless of whether you're watching it or if you're reading the manga. And you will literally not find anything quite as unique as Golden Kamoi, I think, anywhere else. Where else are you going to find a series that takes place post-Russo-Japanese War in a Japanese society that is past, like, the Samurai Age and where cult where like globalism is now an impact where where you could say 200 yen is a lot of money and not be fucking with somebody where where you explore an indigenous culture's entire thing as well as going into the food and everything about it and it's fascinating and interesting that you literally not find that anywhere else where you find a show as brutal as berserk with a rogues gallery you'd find in any shonen anime to being hilarious and touching and violent and cool as shit. This and have food porn. And has so much food porn. Never in my life have I thought, man, Squirrel looks really good right now. <laughs> this is a show teaching you, you know what, hunting's a, hunting is a thing, but... Boy, man, this is something. I kind of want to see Binging with Babish cover this show. <laughs> That'd be interesting. Like, I nice. I'm not going to lie, I also kind of want to see a cooking show out of this. In a weird way. But like I said, there's a lot of very specific itches that Golden Kamoi fills for a lot of different people, and it blends them all really naturally well. Like... The gumbo broth of this show is kind of amazing at how everything works together. And that's commendable. Yeah. Um, I something else? Uh, no, 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 I'm done. I'm uh, sorry. No, I, like, I was, I was very happy with this, uh, with this dub. Um, I started picking up Golden Conway around the time it started coming out in English, and I was looking forward to this adaptation a lot. Uh, and I've enjoyed, you know, enjoying the show in general. I've been enjoying this done a lot. I, I'm very happy with a lot of these performances. I think they're they're bringing what I want to the show. They're they're nailing the dramatic moments. They're nailing the action. They're nailing the funny, silly parts. Um, you know, often you know, often, you know, often many times in the same episode. I like that they're taking on the challenge of like, you, you know, we're gonna have a character speak in this not widely known, you know. Uh, you know, language that lives in Japan that even in Japan is not that widely spoken and try and deliver, you know, meaningful uh, dialogue in it. And in my, in my, you know, at least emotionally, I think pulling that off and like, in certain way, like there's, there's an ambition here that I just admire and I'm, I'm happy that I think they um, have kind of stuck the landing at least so far. And I'm really looking forward to watching more of this and I'm really hoping that this series season does well enough and we get more of this in the future because I am totally up for more of that. Um... Yeah, no, I'm just, I'm really digging this. It's really good. And, uh, without further ado, I think, uh, I think that's about it for us. 
I, I, I'd say we can put the lid on this uh, cheetah top and this miso and call it a night. Indeed. Um, so, audience, if you would like to watch Golden Comedy, uh, you can watch it subtitled on Crunchyroll. And if you all watch this wonderful dub, you can watch that on Funimation. I think the first two episodes are free, but if you'd like to watch more than that, you'll need to sign up for a subscription, which I think is currently going for about $6 a month. Um, you can get a two-week free trial to start with, but, but do note they will ask for your credit card information and will start charging you after those two weeks are up if you uh, do not cancel. But you might find you like having a Funimation subscription and think, hey, this is definitely worth $6 a month, so check that out. Uh, if you'd like to hear more from us, uh, you're probably watching this on our YouTube page as is, so please like and subscribe if you haven't already so you can follow what we're doing. Uh, and you can also follow us at uh, Dub Talk Podcast on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Twitch. So follow us all there. Uh, gentlemen, where can we uh, find all of you on the internet? Hardy. Uh, you can find me at Spaceman Hardy on Twitter. I post. Uh, I haven't posted many goat pictures lately. I need to get back on that. But I retweet a lot of uh, Final Fantasy and My Hero Academia fan art. Um, I do lots of rants about Amazon and Aniplex and how they're destroying the R1 anime industry. And uh, you can also find me over at the Funimation forums and the Funimation Discord, where I am a moderator at both. So come on over, hang out with me, uh, don't act like an asshole, and I won't have to ban you. And yeah, that will be awesome. Excellent. Uh, Sneeves. You may find me at Uncle Azrael on Twitter. I contribute to the Twitterverse all sorts of interesting articles and fun facts. You never knew about topics as broad as weird literature, world history, and all of the fun things you can do with deliciously rendered otter fat. To find out more, follow me on Twitter Does at Does it taste Uncle good of a saltine? It is wonderful and nice and melty, and it's so smooth, it goes fantastic in a nice little broth. And when you cut it in with wild onions, it is a delight. 10 out of 10, worth getting my face torn off with a bear for. Add, add some poop in there, see how it tastes. And squirrel Anyways, brains. And People shouldn't eat poop! Anyways, uh, speaking of poop, my name is Andrew, <laughs> aka MangaMan9000 or Classy Spartan. I go by either or both. Uh, you can find me on Twitter there. I talk a lot about the usual uh, bullshit. Basically, I'm the one that posts the majority of the My Hero Academia fan art that Hardy finds, so you're welcome by the fucking by. Um, as for uh, what else I do outside of uh, Dub Talk, I... And also a podcast contributor to Surreal Resolutions Podcast ONA, where I talk about anime news. And I am also a Funimation moderator over on the forums and Discord. So come by, say hi, and talk about stuff. Excellent. Uh, you can find me at, at AmonDuelUS on Twitter. Duel has two U's in it. Um, I retweet a lot of things, and I occasionally talk about like movies or comic books. I'm trying to start up a thing where I give brief thoughts to music I listen to while I'm at work. I hope I actually stick with that. Uh, you can find my uh, blog at worldthatscoming.blogspot.com, which I hope to actually update because I've made the joke about how I don't update it at all about five times the last two months and started to depress me. Um, so let's change that. And I will leave you with a dusty old song. And I'm going to leave you with two because I couldn't decide on what to do. Because uh, on the one hand, I thought I showed that nicely encapsulates the sort of old-timey grandeur of this is No Quarter by Led Zeppelin. 
which is great, but No Quarter is not a very funny song. It's about Vikings murdering people. So I thought, what's something really heavy True. that's also really funny? Anthrax! Go listen to Among the Living by Anthrax. Yes! Yes! Very good, and they have a sense of humor about themselves, which is why I like them. Uh, Among the Living is pretty good. Um, I don't know as much. What Doesn't Die is pretty yeah. good. Uh, go check them out. They're a good band. Um, and I will leave you with the dusty old song as mm -hmm. well. I just wanted to say, uh, go listen to Jimmy Buffett's Let's Get Drunk and Screw. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, all of these songs... All of these songs sound like they work very well for Golden Kamui. There's a lot. There's a lot to Golden Kamui. You can you can fit the mood of a lot of things. Um, so on that note, uh, thank you so much for listening, everybody, and have a wonderful night. Keep right. it manly. Otaku on, and make sure to check your miso, and make sure it is not poop.